Hello and welcome to LSA Sermon Based Podcast. Our current series is called What is Love? where we will discuss the four Greek words for love and why it's important to understand the difference. We hope that you are blessed by the Word of God today. And now, here is Pastor Brian. Well, good morning. And uh, welcome to everyone here this morning. If you're a guest with us, a special welcome to you. We're, we're inviting you into our home. This is our, our home. We meet here every Sunday. And if you're a guest, you are so welcome here. If you're joining us online, remember that the Spirit doesn't worry about location. You could be in Florida watching this. You could be in another country. And yet at the same time, God is still binding us together and, and and, and making us one, one people. Our sermon series that we've been working on is our Advent series, and it is entitled, What is Love? And we're looking at four different Greek words, one, we, one word each week, that kind of digs into what the Bible teaches about love. And this week's sermon is called Filio, or Philia. And we're going to dig into what that means. But before we do, let's jump to our scripture for this morning. It's 1 Samuel uh, chapter 18, verses 1 to 4, and 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 42. Let me read it now. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. From that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return to his father's house, And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David, along with his tunic, and even his sword, his bow, and his belt. And then chapter 20, verse 42. Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, for we have sworn friendship with each other in the name of the Lord, saying, The Lord is witness between you and me, and between your descendants and my descendants forever. Then David left, and Jonathan went back to the town. Let us pray once again. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have given us this wonderful image of friendship. Lord, I pray that as we dig into this text, we would learn something about what it means to love others as ourselves, to really dig into what it means to be a friend. Lord, and we just pray that you would build friendship between people here at LSA, that we would be a space, a great congregation that always is open to not only having one friend, but many friends and new friends, people that are coming in for the first time. We ask that you'd be with us now. Guide my speech. Lord, guide our hearts to hear. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Do you have a favorite Christmas movie? Do you guys have favorite Christmas movies that you watch every single year? My family has several Christmas movies we like to watch. We like to watch everything from It's a Wonderful Life, that's a classic. But another classic that has become a classic is Elf. I would have never thought that. Yes, it did. It's become a classic. We watch it every year now. And then Mickey's Once Upon a Christmas. Those are kind of three main ones we like to watch. But our favorite movie is the good old classic, White Christmas. White Christmas has a number of memorable characters from Betty and Judy Haynes uh, to General Waverly and his housekeeper, Emma Allen. 
The story of the movie, however, revolves around two men named Bob Wallace and Phil Davis, right. These two men are thrown into the same battalion in World War II, and once their singing and comedic abilities are recognized and discovered, they're called upon to entertain the men on Christmas Eve. A relationship forms between them, which is obvious. As you're watching the movie, they have this easy familiarity on the stage, even though Bob's an officer and Phil is a lowly private. So it's the war and their common ability to perform on stage that creates this kind of relationship of sorts, this friendship. But the friendship grows even deeper when during an enemy attack, Phil Davis, with surprising bravery, saves Bob and gets injured in the process. Through the act, this act of heroism and their friendship is deepened and it takes on a greater meaning. Bob, to show his appreciation for being saved, decides to offer something in return to Phil, a promise. He promises that when they get back to the United States after the war is over, Bob, a famous entertainer, will perform one of Phil's songs. After the promise is made, he realizes too late that the song is actually a duet, and he has the song right there, and Phil wants to perform the song with him. Throughout the rest of the movie, these two men work together. They work together, they travel together, they lip sync together, and they double date together. However, no, how, uh, but no matter how much they're together, these two friends do not talk a lot about their feelings. Near the movie's beginning, uh, Phil and Bob are talking about two potential dates that, that Phil has brought forward and offered uh, for, for Bob. Uh, Two potential dates that Bob doesn't have time for, and Phil responds to Bob with this. All right, they didn't go to college. They didn't go to Smith. Bob replies, go to Smith? She couldn't even spell it. Phil responds, that's very funny. The crooner is now becoming the comic. And then Bob gets deep here. He says this, Phil, let me tell you something. There's a lot of sense in what you say. And I have to admit it, the kind of girls you and I meet in this business, they're young and they're ambitious. They're full of their own careers. They're not interested in getting married, settling down, raising a family. And then Phil responds, and, re- and this reveals so much about particularly about male friendship. That's funny, Bob. I never heard you open up like that. How is this possible? They have gone through years of war together. They've come back. They've become, they've become friends. They, they work together. They travel together. They do all of this stuff. We're talking like eight to 10 years and they have not talked once about marriage and about relationships or the future or children or anything else. This lack of sharing feelings is what? It's characteristic of male friendship in our day where relationships between women often are face-to-face, right? They will actually look at each other, they will talk, they will open up about their feelings, and they'll even talk about their friendship. Male friends, they don't talk about the relationship. Their faces are focused outward. Usually, uh, the best of friends will just be men that are going in the same direction and focused on the same thing. So uh, last week, we talked about the most natural of loves, storge, family affection or love. Today we're talking about the least natural of all the loves, philia or filio. 
Philia is a Greek word that means friendship. It means friendship affection or friendship love. This morning I'm going to be speaking about friendship to a greater degree, speaking about male friendship. So this is interesting. I'm going to dig into this a little bit. Although this applies to everybody. We see this kind of friendship between Bob and Phil. But better yet, and more clearly, it's found between two Old Testament characters. It's found between David and Jonathan. David's best friend is Jonathan. Jonathan's best friend is David. Through taking a quick look at David and Jonathan's friendship, we're going to discover how to develop lasting friendships, lasting relationships. Friendships in general, but especially male friendship, has undergone a radical shift in the last of a radical shift in importance over the last hundred years or so. It's strange, if you go back into history, male friendships were really, really important. They were central. But things have changed. C.S. Lewis says that friendship in the modern world has become a diversion, something that fills up the chinks of one's time. It's just something to do. Not much of an encouragement for a friendship, is it? This modern approach to friendship is so strange because for thousands of years, friendship was something that was so highly valued that it was equal to storge. It was on equal level. The men and being together and having a common vision and having a common direction and being together and being focused, that was as important as family. And you'll still see this in the Middle East a little bit more than you see it here. The men getting together to be together and to, uh, to focus on things, to talk shop, is still really important. But it's kind of lost its place here in our culture. I believe that philia, friendship love, is so special. It's so different because it's so different from storge, this natural love. Philia refers to unnatural love. Think about it. Whether it's romantic love or family love, There's some sort of biological or natural need that you're fulfilling when you love. But friends and friendship, friends are freely chosen. That choice is not need-based. It's not something biological. It's not natural. It's a personal decision. In our text for this morning, we're going to discover two characteristics of two close friends, David and Jonathan. The first characteristic is that they hold to a common understanding of the world and of themselves and of their relationship. 1 Samuel chapter 18, verses 1 to 4. There are many places that we can and do build friendships. We build them in the world. We build these acquaintances and friendships all over the place. However, these friendships will always be, no matter how wonderful and and close, they're always going to be partial friendships if they don't have a deeper spiritual bond. If they're just in the physical realm, they're going to be great, but they're always going to be missing something, this, this deeper spiritual life. Fortunately for David and Jonathan, they not only liked one another, they decided to take the next step in their friendship. The next, take it to the next level and have this deeper spiritual bond as well. This bond is expressed by their common understanding that God had a special calling on David's life. The call to be, uh, for David was to be king of Israel and not Jonathan. And they both understood this. 
This was really important for their relationship. David was anointed to be the rightful heir, to take the place of Saul. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 13. So Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the presence of his brothers. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David. So he, we see that he took this anointing. This anointing was very special. It was unique. It was very private. It was just around with his family. But he took this call very seriously. Since when no one else would go out to fight Goliath, right after this story, he did. He believed something had happened to him. He had been called by God. He'd been empowered by God. And now he could go against Goliath and he could win. This is evidence, the, re, like the, the power that he had wasn't his own. And this was evidence when he goes against Goliath in the name of the Lord Almighty. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 45. You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. So he's not, he's not coming in his own power, he's coming in God's power. He realizes he has that power because of the anointing. Jonathan also understands this. He also gets that David has been specially anointed. This is a pretty amazing thing because Jonathan, as the oldest son of Saul, through succession, was what? The next king. He was going to be the next king. But instead of holding on to that right as something to be held and, and, and to be held in his sacrosanct, he submitted to God's call in his life to become less then David, in this particular calling, not less in general, but less in this calling, so that David could become more. We see how he personally took a lower position. We see this. This is one of the keys to great friendship. Great friendship has, um, in both characters, both people in a friendship, humility. You will not have a great friendship with another man, looking at the men, or women looking at the women, if one person always see themselves as better than the other. There has to be a humility, a willingness to understand, to be able to see the giftedness of somebody else, your potential friend, and to raise it up without sensing some sort of lack in yourself. You're just, you're raising the other person up. You're encouraging them. This is what great friends do. So he takes this lower position, and we see this in verse four. When he took off, and gave to David these different items. These are symbols of his position. His robe, his tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. And you can see this, right? So the robe and the tunic meant something, but look at those words, and even, like it's a surprise. He did this as well? He took off these symbols of a warrior, of, and this is the symbols of a king. And yet he takes them off and he gives them to David. This is amazing. By doing all of this, Jonathan is renouncing his claim to the crown. And by this act, transferring it to David. No one in the Near East would have ever done that. You did not transfer the crown rights to someone else. You eliminated them. You eliminated them, as we'll see Saul attempts to do to David over and over again. That both of them submitted to this truth is the ground for their relationship, for their friendship. For a true friendship to form, we need to submit to the truth of God's various callings and giftings on other people. We can't be envious of others 
and their gifts, but we have to be thankful for them and lift them up, even as they lift up us in our areas of gifting. Christian friendship should never be a contest. We have to take competitiveness out of it. It's very hard to do. If we engage in competition, we'll never develop the powerful, lasting friendships in the church. We'll always just have acquaintances. The common understanding uh, uh, that true friends share is that none of us is better than the other, that we all need each other, and that we're all simply different, and that we're all simply part of one family. Rather, we believe all people are valuable. All people are valuable to God, no matter what role they play, no matter what role they play in the world, out there, and the church in here. It doesn't matter if you're a doctor, a lawyer, or an engineer, or anything out there. It doesn't matter uh, what role you play in here as the pastor, as an elder. All are equal, and that is what's going to create great friendships at LSA. The second characteristic of these two friends, David and Jonathan, is that they take a common stand. 1 Samuel chapter 20, verse 42. Going back to the movie White Christmas, you can tell it's my favorite. I put a lot of pictures up, and I keep referencing it. Bob and Phil have to take a stand. But it's, uh, it's not against an individual, but against the failure of General Waverly's hotel and everything that he's worked for. These two men have their role to play. And the, it's a, I know White Christmas is a funny movie, but as I was studying it, I'm like, there really is a lot of uh, comparison to some of the stories in the Bible. Uh, but get this, David and Jonathan. Um, they work together. They understand that they each have a role to play. And so even as they're going to get all the guests to come out on Christmas Eve, remember, for, uh, for General Waverly's party, um, they have roles to play, and they each play their role really well, and this is their success. Bob goes to the television studio uh, to make the announcement, and Phil uh, keeps the general away from the TV. They both have their role to play. Similarly, David and Jonathan have to take a stand. Strangely enough, you might think that I'm going to say the stand is against the Philistines, this army. And they do keep popping up in the story, but they're not the major, major adversary. Rather, it's the king and Jonathan's father, King Saul. Unlike Jonathan, Saul is not interested in renouncing his kingship, even though he knew he had lost the blessing of God. Instead, he holds on to the position with an iron fist, and as a result, when David is praised to a greater extent than Saul, Saul gets angry. Look what he tries to do to David in chapter 18, verses 10 to 12. The next day, an evil spirit from God came forcefully on Saul. He was prophesying in his house while David was playing the lyre, as he usually did. Saul had a spear in his hand, and he hurled it, saying to himself, I'll pin David to the wall. But David eluded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with David, but had departed from Saul. Now, Saul not only had it out for David, I don't know what is with this guy, but this guy likes pinning people to the wall. It, it's, a, it's a thing, that, a word that keeps coming up. He, he likes his spear, and he likes to pin people to the wall. So he tries to do this, but it's not only to David. He, he, he also ends up hating his son because of the friendship between Jonathan and David. So he has it out for his son as well. You see, friendship, especially male friendship, it scares people. It really does. 
For politicians and those in power, those in authority, friendship is scary because they recognize that strength of the friendship is a challenge to their authority. When a group of people get together and there's a strong friendship between them, there is a power that the individuals to get on their own don't have. What do they say? A divided army, right? Can't stand. Friends will stand together against prevailing opinions in a way that cannot be broken. In male friendships where they take a common stand uh, against what they perceive as wrong, there is strength. C.S. Lewis says this, men who have real friends are less easy to manage or get at, hard for good authorities to correct or for bad authorities to corrupt. And so we continue on in the story to discover that Saul was not able to corrupt Jonathan because there's a friendship, a friendship with David. Uh, but Saul cannot abide this situation, so he thinks if he can't control his son, and we get that we see this maybe not in quite such dramatic fashion, but we still see this in relationships today. There is a challenge even to the, a father's authority when there's another relationship that's really, really tight, right? But he knows if he can't control his son, he has to destroy him. When Jonathan stands up for David, things go from uh, bad to worse uh, for Jonathan, and Saul loses his mind. 1 Samuel chapter 20, verses 32 to 33. Why should he be put to death? What has he done? Jonathan asked his father. But Saul hurled his spear at him to kill him. You have to have lost your mind pretty far to go this, to go this far, right? He's trying to pin somebody to the wall again. It is David and Jonathan's common relationship, this friendship where they stand together that binds them together and it scares even the king. As a result of all these trials, they become what is called in the Bible in this text, sworn friends from that moment on. Friends, we've seen this morning that there's a strong friendship between David and Jonathan. One that could not be broken even under the greatest adversity. Why was their friendship so strong? It's because they have a common understanding of their place in the world. David should be king, and Jonathan should support David. And second, because they took a common stand against Saul's ungodly actions, the evil he was perpetrating, even though it could mean their lives for opposing him. This creates a bond between them, and they become, again, what is called sworn friends. How many of you would like to have a relationship with another person that's not in your family, like David and Jonathan's. One where you are with one spirit. You are together, and you stand together, and you know they can, you can depend on them with your life. You trust them with your family. That's the kind of relationship I think all of us want. I think we all want a sworn friend. The answer to finding a friendship like this, philia, you might think you gotta go out looking for it. You do not need to go looking for this kind of friendship. If you look for it, you won't find it. It's one of these strange oxymorons that just don't make sense. If you, if you go looking for it, you'll never find this friendship. What you have to do is you have to go to the places and be the kind of person that, that builds 
these kinds of friendships. Join a group with a common understanding of the world and that is taking a stand against something and you'll start to build friendships. A place, in fact, just like Lakeshore St. Andrews. Guys, we are that kind of place. Part of our mission to help people develop new life in Christ is to be a church where friendships blossom. We're trying to create that kind of environment. Friendships that God uses to reveal the beauties and gifts of everyone here, where you all get to be celebrated for what God has done in your life and what he has built up, even as you build up others and take a stand against what is evil in this world, against what is wrong, and stand on the word of God. That's us. And we're gonna build those kind of friendships. Philia, let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you have been building in us through, without even thinking about it, building this environment where friendships can blossom. Lord, because you have given us a common understanding of the word, of the word and of the world. Lord, you have also helped us by reminding us we have to take a stand. We have to take a stand on your word. Lord, I just pray that you would be with each individual here and that they would continue to grow and find these kinds of friends, that we would build a church, a community, a growing community of friends. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you're ever in our area, we would love for you to join us in person or partner with us by visiting lsa.church forward slash give. We encourage you to like this content and subscribe if you found it helpful. And until next time, be blessed and we'll see you soon.